Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Doreen, I'm singing. Oh, 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 I love to swim in. Doreen. When you want to swim, you want See, to I'm gonna get stuck now with that song. Now it's in my head. Sorry. Welcome to the journey. My name is Neville D'Angelo. In this segment of our journey, we are traveling with two exemplary fathers of a modern family. Dr. David Jenkins, professor and head of the department at Texas Christian University, and Bruce Carter, manager, American Airlines. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Fairness. What is fairness? And who gets to decide to whom fairness is due and for whom it can be forestalled? If fairness is even-handedness, equity, freedom from bias or injustice, then let's call this first segment of our modern family series The Pursuit of fairness. Dr. David Jenkins grew up Southern Baptist, a handsome man married with triplets, three beautiful girls, considered the epitome of an outstanding Ken and Barbie family in his church community. He would eventually find himself battling all the way to the Supreme Court. And when his son was but a baby, Professor Jenkins lectured with his child strapped to his body. Now, I'd call that a dedicated papa. Bruce Carter, also a dad, a very proud dad, triplets and a son, grew up Seventh-day Adventist, a quiet lad, bright, the brainiac of the family, private school, wonderful teachers nurturing him in every way. He is not about to back down from demanding a fair response to this question. Why should he have to pay more than any other parent, any other dad? In what world is that ever fair?
let's meet these two men, starting with Bruce Carter. My dad was in the Air Force when I was born, so I was born in an Air Force base in Massachusetts. Mm. He went off to Vietnam. My mom took my sister and me down to Mississippi, where she's from. Mm. We stayed there until he got back, and then he came and gathered us up and brought us to Texas. Mm. Um, then my parents separated when I was in about in the second grade, so mm. my mother moved us to Virginia mm. for a couple of years, and they reconciled, came back to Texas, and mm. have been in Texas ever since then. So I've been in Texas since I was a little kid. And why did she take you out of Virginia, of all places? She had family there. Her sister was there. Oh, okay. Forgot, I forgot that part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he went to Virginia, but I never knew why. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, what do you? How do you like it? Texas is Texas like fully home, or do you miss? Uh, you know, um, Texas is home, and I, you know, I think it's funny. When I was in Virginia, I was like, "Go Cowboys!" And then when we came back to Texas, I was go, "Go Redskins!" <laughs> I was just trying to be controversial, I guess. But um, you know, Texas is home. I love it here. I love the big sky. I love seeing the lightning storms. Mm-hmm. I love the warm weather. This mm-hmm. is my home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more of your background. I just learned that you were actually on radio yourself. Yeah. You want to tell, tell us a bit, give us that story? Being a radio voice. That was my radio voice. I didn't have as much of a Texas accent. I cared more back then, I guess. But um, my degree is in radio and television, broadcast, focusing in broadcast news and public affairs. Mm. Um, and so I started internships. So I interned with Traffic Patrol Broadcasting mm-hmm. and did traffic. And everyone thinks we're in helicopters. We actually had a small plane uh-huh. and a lot of people driving. So I was in one of the cars or right. worked in the studios and mm-hmm. monitored the, the fire and police bands. Um, and then I had a, um, an internship at KZPS, it was 92.5, mm-hmm. and they had their sister station, KAAM 1310. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, did my internship and then got a board op, you know, opportunity to work at 1310 KAAM and, mm-hmm. and then started doing, working in the newsroom at KZPS and, mm-hmm. you know, did their Sunday morning program so early at five in the morning, <laughs> you know, yeah. when people aren't listening to the radio, there's a certain amount of, of you know, uh, public broadcasting that they have mm-hmm. to do, and so that was one of those shows. So I was very fortunate to have a show like that, and you know, at you know, 21, 22, mm-hmm. or 21 at the time, um, and also worked in their newsroom. And at the time, it was the 200th anniversary of the Constitution. So mm-hmm. I used to do these little spots, and it was funny. My friends at school would hear me on the radio, like, "Oh my gosh, I heard you doing the power of we the people." <laughs> so you know, I got a lot of airtime for you know, in a major market for mm-hmm. someone so young, but. Um, then the time came for me to graduate. I was, I was in my last year of university at the University of Texas at, at Arlington. Mm-hmm. And um, their ratings went down because I was going to get a job in the newsroom there. Their ratings went down. Mm-hmm. They froze hiring. And at the time, I lived across the street from American Airlines, knew nothing about the industry, <laughs> but I thought, hey, you know, I need a job. So mm-hmm. when it applied and um, was able to get a shift that allowed me to still go to school. So I worked, you know, from... Um, 10 at night to 6.30 in the morning, Mm -hmm. and then I would sleep in my car for an hour or so, and then I'd go to class. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it worked out well for me to, you know, finish school doing that for a while, Mm -hmm. and, you know, start as a reservations agent at American Airlines, and I stayed there for 26 years. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's just so much opportunity there, so I've been able to, you know, work my way up to analyst, to senior analyst, to manager. So I've, I've really enjoyed my career there. And so what what got you into tennis? Or you? Um, I just been you know enjoyed playing probably in my late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, started playing with friends and then I took it as a as a PE at school and college. Right. Um, 
I don't know. It's, it's just such. It's a fun sport. Right. Um, you know, I like individual sports. I didn't really play team sports when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, love the individual part of it. Love to, you know, that having that accomplishment and knowing that you did it. Even though I play doubles better than I play singles. <laughs> um, but just enjoyed it. And then when I moved to Dallas, you know, as I got older and started moving and actually found a permanent home in Dallas, mm-hmm. um, just looking for places to be involved and, and things to do. And tennis is just such a beautiful sport and an incredible sport. I just, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. So now I live and breathe tennis. You can he does. <laughs> <laughs> the channel is on all I don't all load up at 2 o'clock in the morning watching the <laughs> Federer of the, the Dome. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God, Federer's on. Oh my God, Serena. <laughs> So yeah, just I love the sport. My you know my son plays tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most fun things we did last weekend was, uh, you know, without actually David and I were playing. David had to leave, so I started playing with with the seven year old with Eric, mm-hmm. and then um, Haley came to pick us up like okay. the triplets, and she started playing. So the three of us stayed there for another thirty or forty five minutes playing. It's just it's an incredible sport. It's it's fun and everyone can get involved. Now, did I mention that Bruce is black? It's a minor detail, and it should have no relevance. David is white. Let's meet him. Uh, David, I just learned that you're a professor. Yeah, Tell me about your professor at Texas yeah. Christian University, or TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a professor of social work. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my PhD is from Florida State mm-hmm. in family therapy, mm-hmm. and um, started teaching in 1991 at TCU. Mm-hmm. I'm now chair of the department, and I'm head of the graduate program there mm-hmm. also. So um, I was actually a business undergrad, mm-hmm. a business administration from LSU. Uh, where I grew up in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and uh, ran my dad's oil company for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, he sold it, and I had no idea what to do with my life. So I went back and ended up getting my master's degree in social work and mm-hmm. then my Ph.D. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Florida State. Now, now you told, you said that your dad was gay. Mm-hmm. Now, did you did you guys know that when you were young? Tell us about this. I... Um, I figured out my father was gay mm-hmm. um, around my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And so I outed my father mm-hmm. to my mother because I was beginning to put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Fast forward through that, he came out and um, they divorced and my dad came out as a proud gay man and mm-hmm. had partners and um, was great. And we worked all the way through that story of in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, and the struggle with HIV and all kind of stuff. My dad ended up being HIV positive, died oh, from complications from AIDS. So I mean, it's a rare, very, that's another radio show, oh. uh, <laughs> another program. Right. But my father came out way before I did. I think because of his coming out, I never truly addressed my own sexuality as mm. a senior in high school. Mm. That All of that happening and my Southern Baptist beliefs at the time did not allow me to pursue what's going on with me, my attractions. So I never identified as gay. I just believed I was a heterosexual guy with a little bit of a temptation going on. Mm. And so I didn't come out until 15 years ago when I had been married for 13 years and I had I had triplets that were born. I often sort of summarize my story to say, I think the stress of triplets mm-hmm. um, made me less able to run from who and what I was, mm-hmm. that my sort of self-defenses and barriers began to get worn down, and mm-hmm. I just was like, yes, I am attracted 
to the same sex and I need to be honest with my wife and tell her. And so then I came out and went through a fairly difficult divorce and child um, custody battles. Uh, fast forward, now I get along great with my ex-wife. She's very involved in our lives. She, She's our family. She has a child from her second marriage. We babysit for each other. She calls me regularly. We do things with them. She actually asks us to go on vacation with her this summer. We're not, but uh, she would like us to. Uh, my grown daughters jokingly say, you know, we are the modern family. You know, we have... You know, there's a TV show, but we really do sort of embrace that sort of modern family that doesn't abide by any kind of stereotypical rules. I mean, you know, one of the examples is this summer. So we went on vacation, and we actually went with my ex, and then his ex-wife actually took care of our house and came to swim every day while we were gone. So. Now, how did that work? <laughs> two of his exes are two of his best friends. Okay. And they are like family, and they we actually call his his, his exes Uncle Uncle Mark and Uncle Tim because are his exes and they're wonderful people, and we've made them part of our family. And then for Thanksgivings or events and celebrations, they're who we go to and we hang out with, and um, so it's a great thing. He's much more lesbian-like in that he stays connected to his ex. Yeah, he's he's able to have had a really nice relationship. I mean, I have a great relationship with my ex, so my ex-wife is still in our picture, and so is his ex-boyfriend. This is lovely. We'll be right back. When we return, we'll tackle the question of homosexuality and sin. And on that, both of you came from what you might consider very conservative Christian backgrounds. And I, I am thinking that you were very involved. You were not, not on the sidelines, am I right? Mm -hmm. um, now, I am also guessing that your views about gay uh, back then and now are different. If that is true, how did you move from there to here? I think my story is a little more movement than Bruce's story. So <laughs> it's a little more dramatic than my story. <laughs> I was raised Southern Baptist. Um, I had mentioned earlier that my father came out when I was around 17. <clears throat> Up until that point, I believe homosexual was a sin, a choice, uh, devil's um, distortion or whatever kind of thing is what the way I was raised, that there really was no homosexuality. It was just a... Um, a, a distortion of natural humanity or whatever. And, so and at that time, did you have any sense that you might be? I, or did, I did not. Good, um, only that... Um, no, I don't, I, it's fair to say no, I did not. And right. so my father comes out at the age uh, when I am 16. I uh, out him. Well, I think I'm outing him. I'm mm -hmm. telling my mother something. And so... Um, I still held my beliefs, actually got more entrenched with my beliefs, mm -hmm. uh, that my father was wrong, he was 
do it sinful and he was going to go to hell mm-hmm. if he didn't turn his ways around. Mm-hmm. Um, several years later, like a decade later, my sister comes out as a lesbian. Um, and I think that in combination with my own education process, going through graduate school in, mm-hmm. in a doctoral program, I began to say, you know what, it was pretty simple to believe that was sin and that was wrong, but I believe I need to push myself. So in front of my wife, I'm reading things outside of the Southern Baptist literature. I'm reading about sexuality. I'm reading about sin, and I'm trying to make more sense of this. And I reach a point where I no longer believe that it is sin. It's a choice while I'm married to my wife. So that, I know I don't want to cut you, but mm-hmm. that point when you say reach a point, uh-huh. is it a point where you just abandon the idea that it's a sin, or is it a point that you were able to re, uh, um, uh, reconcile? I was still holding much of my beliefs of Christianity and many of the same things, mm-hmm. but I no longer believed uh, homosexuality was a mistake. I thought it was God's creation. I thought it was part of the natural order mm-hmm. now. And so I was trying to integrate. I had not done a very good job, but I was trying to at least be an outlier <laughs> on that issue within my Southern Baptist Church. When I then came out myself, mm-hmm. five, seven, eight years late, six years later, um, had even more work that I needed to do. I knew at that point that I believed I was gay. I think now as I look back that much of that work that I did on my father and on my sister was preparing myself to accept that part of me Mm -hmm. that I had not. Mm -hmm. So when I accepted that and I came out, I still needed to read, to learn, to educate myself and became kind of a ferocious reader about Mm -hmm. scripture and understanding of Greek and Hebrew and text and all that kind of stuff, trying to make... Um, better sense cathedral of hope was instrumental in helping me make peace on this topic mm-hmm. and i eventually got to a place where i totally believe we're part of the special creation mm-hmm. and no longer held on to those beliefs um so uh, my my movement has been much more radical mm-hmm. than bruce's more gentle <laughs> on the topic, he doesn't come from the hellfire and brimstone background that I do. Yeah, I think you know it was a gentler start. So I grew up Seventh Day Adventist, mm-hmm. and as a Seventh Day Adventist, and actually I grew up in a community that was one of the flagship communities of the denomination. Mm-hmm. So, um, like David was saying, we weren't fire and brimstone, mm-hmm. um, and really homosexuality wasn't talked about. So mm-hmm. while in his pulpits there was preaching against it, in our pulpits there may have been some veiled discussion of it, but it wasn't the topic. It wasn't what drove... I think mm-hmm. of homosexuality as actually keeping the Southern Baptist Convention together. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had support <laughs> uh, You know, it seems like there's nothing else that they focus on. So mm-hmm. that wasn't the case with the Adventist Church. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I didn't struggle with it, but again, I think the expectations for me were a little bit different. So even from the beginning, did I know it was gay? I didn't understand what gay was, but I didn't, you know, think I have to marry a girl. You know, I just thought, you know, girls are nice and boys are nice, and I just didn't think that much of it because, you know, I had music and I had some other things in my life, so I didn't focus on that. And, kind of a nerd. and then, you know, I was kind of a nerd. So, you know, I actually went to parochial schools to Seventh-day Adventist schools, and, you know, in a predominantly a 
way more than predominantly, but a, you know, a white community mm. as one of the few black people in, the, mm. in that community and in that school. So the expectation wasn't there that I was mm. going to date interracially. So there really wasn't an expectation of me dating. So I didn't have that kind of pressure of dating and getting married. And again, when you go back to when we talked about my family, because we're not that close of a family, there really wasn't that type of discussion about, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up, or who are you going to marry, or, you know, I came up with those things on my own. I was, I was pretty fair, self-aware fair kid. private family that didn't ask a lot of that personal question. Right, but it, but it, it was more of kind of that self-awareness, and I don't want to say I was raised by wolves, I was raised <laughs> by myself, but I did make a lot of those decisions at a very young age of the type of person that I wanted to be and the types of things that I wanted to do and didn't want to do. So, so but you didn't have you didn't have any strong sense of homosexuality being associated with sin. Mm-mm. So you didn't see it coming between you and your relationship, your religious or God a spiritual relationship. With and I didn't. And uh, you know, I thought of religion a little bit differently. You yeah. know, I was. I was very involved in music programs right. and and small groups in, in particular. So that was more of my focus, more than doctrine. Mm-hmm. And I was more of a, um, you know, I'm I'm enjoying this, and I love the friendships that I'm making. So that's why I wanted people to come to Christ or to come to God. It wasn't about I want you to believe this dogma, but you know, I want you to be accepted where you are. And that was another thing about the church that bothered me is, you know, if you, a woman wore slacks into the sanctuary, that's a sin. So I, maybe part of it was everything was a sin. So, you know, with Advent, if you wear makeup, that's a sin. If you wear jewelry, that's a sin. So sin just started not even making sense to me. So I didn't really incorporate that into, mm. you know, my life and who I was. Mm. And since we didn't really talk about homosexuality, and I wasn't really obsessed with it. I wasn't, you know, just it just wasn't the most important thing in my life. Mm. Um, so I just never really thought of it that way. It was just more of, it's not fair that women can't be ministers in the church or can't be ordained ministers. It's not fair that people will turn their noses up at a woman that will wear slacks in a church or a person that you know, may not have the money and will come dressed poorly to church. So that's more of where my focus was, more than the doctrine and the dogma. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just didn't have those kind of struggles. It was just learning different things along the way. And um, I actually, when I was in, in college, uh, I was about 20, and I had a classmate who was gay, and He's saying, oh, yeah, there are gay bars in Arlington. I had no idea, you know. So it was just more of just learning and listening and and finding things out and kind of finding my way that way. But I didn't have anything to struggle against because it wasn't close to my family. I build close relationships with very few people, but I didn't have this big audience that I had to, you know, change for. You know, after I left high school... You know, a lot of those folks stayed in that small town or went to different places for school. I was friends with them, but I didn't really spend a lot of time with them. So there just wasn't anyone that I needed to perform for to prove anything to. (laughs) So I had kind of that space to figure out what I needed to figure out, but I just... It, I don't remember it being a struggle. I'm so different than you. Well, you know, we've talked about <laughs> yeah. that many times. I had no room to explore myself. I had audiences watching everything I did, and I was 
chair of the education committee. I was president of the adult choir. I was teaching Sunday school in the church. I was a praise team singer. I was a soloist in the choir. I mean, and I had I had no room to examine any of that kind of stuff except to toe the line and to be the spokesperson for the Southern Baptist message, you know, and to kind of do the right thing. And then, you know, you get pregnant with triplets and you become Ken and Barbie. You become this sort of storybook, you know, of what... Christianity can look like and how God can bless you with, you know, triplets and blah, 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 you know, and it's it became this sort of steam engine that couldn't stop where you had so much room to kind of think and <laughs> figure out for yourself. I had none, you know, and, and, you know, when my father came out, there was even more pressure on me to be the right kind of person, the non-sinful, the non-gay one, and then my sister comes out. You know, and it's like, yikes, um, mm. oh, dear God, mm. you know, now what are they going to think mm. of me? And so, and, so, and I, I started, I think, then creating a little more space, finally, mm. you know, with everyone sort of mm. coming out of the closet around me. <laughs> yeah. So I was beginning to have to start to examine that kind of stuff. You just seem to have, from a very early age, the ability to kind of look at who and what you wanted to be. When I felt like I was on a train that was going and I was told what I had to be. And I think it was in your face and you were challenged more with it. Whereas for me, the first time I was asked was, you know, I was in my 20s and we were at my sister's for Christmas. And, you know, my sister took me aside in the kitchen and said, are you gay? And I said, yes. Oh, come give me a big hug. <laughs> I was like, okay, you're more excited about it than I am. <laughs> okay. You know, so that was kind of that one of those first steps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of that as, as kind of one of those milestones. And then I would say probably the next major milestone, which was years later, was when I was dating, um, I was dating David. And, you know, I started talking about interacting with the girls. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, people who worked with me were kind of, well, who are these girls and who are these? So, you know, it's this guy that I'm dating and they're his children, you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, oh, you know, and so it just kind of came out that way. And, and I don't know if maybe they were thinking, oh, this guy's a freak. I, I didn't bother with that. That was just what it was. <laughs> of course you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, like, you know, I probably said this earlier, it was more about that's what kind of brought me out was being honest about what I was, if you're going to ask me what I did for my weekend, usually it was just, I played tennis. I didn't necessarily have to say, I played tennis with a bunch of gay guys. <laughs> I played tennis, you know, and, you know, or I went to church or I did these different things. But then when I started talking about the children and them knowing that I didn't have children all these years that they worked with me, you know, who, yeah, that was another story, but, um, you know, that I was explaining more about this is what this, New family that I'm building is looking like. No, when he, so he came out much more because of me and the kids, mm-hmm. forced him to. If he's going to talk about his family, mm-hmm. it forced him much more out. You're a private person, mm-hmm. easy to say, um, and that really made you much more visible because now you got pictures of these girls in your office, and mm-hmm. the story is they don't look like you, and you why do you have these girls? Yeah. And where do they come from? And no, when you met him, you knew that he had three girls. Not really. And it's so funny because he brought them to practice. I never really paid attention to him. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't know much about him. I thought he was handsome, but I also thought he was in a relationship. So I just didn't really. But but once you got in a relationship, you already knew that he was? Oh, yes. yes. So so you went in there. Um, It didn't threaten you that he was once married and now has three kids. 
and you're about to date a guy like that. You know, I came from a small town and kind of came to things on my own. Right. I was so naive. I, I like that. that I like that I was able to grow up like that, but mm. I was very naive. And I thought, oh, three kids? I love kids. You know, <laughs> that's great. No, no, but why did you put that? That's beautiful. Why did you put it in the way of naivety? You're saying that if you don't misinterpret these words, were you saying that if you were smarter, you would have stepped back? <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 would, I would say that you know someone in their mid 30s right. has been around the block a couple of times and may not date someone who has children. But I'm talking with you though. No, for me that wasn't. I didn't it think that. Way. You. That's yeah, sort of, that's because you were naive, you didn't think that Good. way. Mm-hmm. I think you think, you think if you were less naive, like <laughs> Neville asked, you would have gone. Yikes! This guy has an ex-wife and he's got three kids. I'll just steer clear of him. If I didn't want children, then. But because I had children, that was attractive. No, it was just part of. Was attractive. It was just part of. (laughs) Because you're very handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Fishing and I took the bait. (laughs) No, I didn't mean the handsome. David is very, very. (laughs) Please get that on record. It used to be. (laughs) I think the thing that you know one of the things that surprised me was. You know, I didn't know that dynamic of the ex-wife. And even with my parents, mm. again, you know, talk about how my parents separated. They actually separated. They never divorced. There was just no drama about, there really wasn't drama <laughs> in my life. So I just wasn't familiar with all of this. And I think one of the things that happened, you know, after David moved in, um, and there was a phone call, and it was with his ex-wife's husband. I would call him new husband. He wasn't new. They'd been married for a few years. Um, and he was screaming at David through the phone and you know they were kind of going back and forth I wasn't used to that kind of chaos in my home I lived in a quiet home and one of the things that's very important to me is my home is my sanctuary Mm -hmm. and so it's the safe place where I can go and it doesn't matter what other people think this is my home you're respectful in my home you're quiet in my home Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that kind of said, you know, we need to we need to get this under control, or this isn't going to work. Well, the, the the even more backstory is Bruce came in, even though I was divorced at the time, we were still going all the way up through the Texas Supreme Court fighting over child custody. I was trying to keep all of my rights as a dad, mm-hmm. and um, I was getting, um, I had. We had gone through the original court, we'd been to the appellate court, and we were getting ready to go to the Texas Supreme Court because I was not willing to give up any of my legal rights. I was fighting as much as I possibly could to keep every bit of my rights. So though I was completely divorced, there was still the Supreme Court. Was the appellate court? Had the appellate court happened? Or the appellate court had already happened, ruled. and now they were yeah. doing things on the deed for the house. Right. So I remember going and so that. we were going to the Texas Supreme Court, and so... Part of that animation of the hollering was some of the leftover negotiations of stuff. And um, this new husband, my my ex-wife's new husband, was trying to sort of assert himself and, you know, handle me, whatever that means. Uh, (laughs) And, um, you know, I wasn't a a scream... I don't think of myself as sort of a, a screaming kind of guy, usually anyway, but that whole interaction was very awkward. And so we... It helped me to kind of realize the, the rules for Bruce is that, you know, I do I do come in like a whirlwind. I mean, I've got this history and I've got these triplets and I've got this stuff that I bring into this very quiet man's home with a cat, you know, and so he's got a very quiet existence. And I come in and just, you know, kind of bring a storm with me. And um, what I had to realize early on was, 
yeah, you bring a storm, you bring a lot of history, you bring a lot of stuff, but it doesn't have to um, be so pervasive and, and ruin your home. It can You can still have a sanctuary, you can still have a, a safe place. And it was a very kind of a poignant moment for us to set a boundary of what was and was not acceptable. Because I had been in the battle of the different levels of the court system so much that I just felt like I was fighting, fighting, fighting for every bit of my rights. And and Bruce was like, no, no, not here. You know, we don't have, we don't do that here. We you fight other places, and, but not in our house. He's not going to come to our house. He's not going to scream at you on the phone. Hang up the phone. And I, I did. I hung up the phone. And I I remember just going, oh my God, I just hung up the phone. And <laughs> what I needed to do. I needed to hang up their phone because it was not being a productive conversation. It was going nowhere and we needed to have a peaceful home. Now, now that that whole that court thing that it all worked out all right. I know that everything seems fine now, but did it go it didn't yeah. go as smoothly as I would have liked. Right. But, uh, eventually um my ex wife and I became friends and we settled the things that were remaining on our own mm-hmm. and worked it all out. And I have a wonderful mm-hmm. relationship with my kids and my Girls are wonderful. They're, they're great girls. Alright, we'll be right back. Well, I'm back with Bruce Carter and David Jenkins. Take us on your journey from knowing each other to becoming a partner to getting married well you know i think about it i would say the reason that we came together so i i had been in a relationship for about seven or eight years Mm. and then i was single for about five years Mm. um you mean single after the relationship after the relationship Mm -hmm. and um so i I wanted to be in another relationship but Mm -hmm. just never found the, the right person i think with David as we were talking mm-hmm. about different things we started I, at least for me I started realizing okay this is the type of person this person has the same values mm-hmm. um, has similar goals mm-hmm. that you know and and is trying to achieve things that I want to achieve or that I value mm-hmm. so I, I think that was really the big thing that brought us together that kind of got me off of that single train you know, <laughs> after five years so I think you know everything just kind of grew from there mm-hmm. and understanding that um, we wanted, we had the same values and we, you know, had similar goals, um, that that is a good foundation for sure. building a family and being married because my goals were involving family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted children. I mm-hmm. didn't have children. David had three. Mm-hmm. And I told him from the very beginning, you know, mm-hmm. when I get in a relationship with someone, I want, I want children. Mm-hmm. And he was thinking, oh, I got three. It's great. <laughs> you won't, you won't yeah. need anymore. <laughs> you won't anymore. Never have anymore. I got three for you. <laughs> and at the time, the girls were eight, about eight to turn nine, nine. Yeah. Uh, when we started dating. Yeah. And and so you know, it, it came from there, and that you know, having the children mm-hmm. and building a family, mm-hmm. that marriage was more about protecting that family and making sure that we're taking care of each other because that's what I I believe family is about. That's a major part of being a family. But at that time, there was no um, legal way to get married. So how did you wrap your thoughts around that? Were you thinking, I'll get married anyway, 
tickets with anybody, or did you have yeah. some thoughts as to where you're going to go? Um, I'm, not, I'm not even sure of the timing of Massachusetts. There may have been marriage in Massachusetts at the time, but um, it was more about, you know, I think early on, as we were getting serious, we said, I, you know, if there's an opportunity for us to get married in Texas, mm-hmm. we'll get married. So it was right. about right. it being in Texas, mm-hmm. um, because at the time, folks were going to Massachusetts to, to get married. Oh, okay. And even though I had a tie to Massachusetts, because that's where I was born, right. I knew no one there. It didn't, at the time, it didn't really make sense mm-hmm. for us, or for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, you know, marriage became legal in California, mm-hmm. it was, we had friends there, we had ties there. Um, we well, had all four of our we, children. We had a son, and so that I think that was sort of the turning point. Well, uh, right now you know uh, the the gay marriage is about to come up for the Supreme Court. What are your positions on on that? So since we're gay married, I guess we're in favor <laughs> of it. Um, you know, there are a couple of things, and you know, I'll start with the with DOMA. I think that's the one that impacts us the most. Mm-hmm. So. Um, with DOMA saying that you cannot be federally recognized, mm-hmm. you know, and having a family, what you work for, what I work for is for the success of my family and to make sure that they're well cared for. Mm-hmm. And so what DOMA does is blocks that. So I'm legally married, mm-hmm. but there are inheritance issues, there are pension issues. So basically, if I pass away, my pension goes away. It does not go to the person that I'm married to because of DOMA. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, you know, we talk about equal rights, we talk about loving who you want to love, and I guess I just assume that piece of it. Mm-hmm. But the part that I say, even though it sounds a bit cold, is that financial piece that I work hard to take mm-hmm. care of my family, mm-hmm. and there's a federal law that prohibits me from taking care of that family. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think individuals and in states use that law or use some of the state equivalents of DOMA to say, we can't provide this service to you or we can't let you have a joint membership in this organization mm-hmm. and kind of take it to a point where I don't think it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, the DOMA piece is very important, you know, as um, an employee who pays into the federal system mm-hmm. and pays into a pension and wants to make sure that my family is well cared for, mm-hmm. um, it, it doesn't seem to jive with um, saying, for instance, you can be legally married in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. but federally we're not going to recognize that marriage. That doesn't make sense, you know, you, you know, not, you know notwithstanding the, the um, Equal Protection Clause in, mm-hmm. in the Constitution just logically, or even when you, you hear from people you know across the political spectrum talking about common sense, mm. that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk about states' rights, okay, well, this state says that you can be married, right. but then the federal government's not going to recognize that. That makes absolutely no sense. Mm. I think the thing that's a bit fuzzy is I am legally married, mm-hmm. but I live in a state that doesn't recognize that marriage. Does that preclude the federal government from recognizing my marriage. I don't believe that it does, but I think there are a lot of questions that are going to come up mm-hmm. with DOMA. I think there are not just the different ways that they can rule, but there are different flavors of those rulings. And even for the California case, mm-hmm. um, there are different ways that they could rule that mm-hmm. may or may not benefit us and benefit my family mm-hmm. because they can rule so narrowly on, on certain points of law. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that you don't know what's going to happen. So I think, you know, with the two cases coming up um, within the next week, I would say I'm hopeful, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to how things are going to turn out, how um, different judges are going to rule, mm-hmm. and kind of how the final ruling will come out and what pieces of those two, you know, the overturning of Prop 8 and, mm-hmm. and the constitutionality of DOMA, um, how they're actually going to rule on those and are they going to be broad or are they going to be narrow? Mm-hmm. And how is that going to impact my family? I said selfishly. But <laughs> 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 and therefore many other families. But, right, right. right. <laughs> I think for me the Prop 8 thing just brings to mind the idea of, of, of politicians cowardly putting rights up to vote mm-hmm. to the public <laughs> when we know well, that's the biggest no, no. It's right. not about right. a popularity right. contest. Right. Otherwise, many minority groups would never have any right. rights, or yeah. women, or whatever, would have never been able to move forward. So, um, to me, it's it's you know sort of getting rid of that idea that we can. Um, and I would argue that they, the politicians know that there's no kind of real argument to stop. Um, you know, like California from having marriage, and so they just put it out to the public where they know they can get a a, a, a scary right. set of commercials out <laughs> there to make it look like this is what's going to happen to you and your family, and uh, uh, it's just very, very troubling. So I am watching very carefully both of these decisions, and as Bruce indicated, selfishly for us, sure. but for the many other friends that we have that are coupled and have children, and you know, ultimately, it's not even about us. It's about our son. I yeah. mean, we want our yeah. son to be protected. So we've gone to links to try to put in uh, legal paperwork and things to make sure our son is protected. But in many ways, we wouldn't have to do 90% of that stuff if our marriage was just legalized. Mm-hmm. And and many and, and even he'd be taken there even further. Like Bruce said, some of the things we can't put in place. I can't get my social security to go to to Bruce mm-hmm. until that marriage is recognized, right. you know. Yeah. But there, you know, even things that you don't think about, and I don't know that folks understand this, but we pay more in income taxes. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, both of our employers provide health care. Mm-hmm. Both of our employers recognize us as domestic partners. Um, but we wanted to make the best health care decision for our children, and at the time it turned out that my plan was better. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are all on my plan with my employer. Mm-hmm. But Eric and I don't have to pay income taxes on our health care. I have to pay income taxes for David and the girls to be Mm -hmm. on my health care. So while they're part of the program and they're recognized by my company Mm -hmm. because of federal regulations, I have to pay hundreds of dollars a month more Mm -hmm. for health care. Or, for instance, when we fly. So I work for an airline. Mm -hmm. And... um, if I fly domestically within the United States, there's no charge. Mm-hmm. Not for, for David and the girls. So they can still fly unlimited because they're they're my family. Right. Um, but, but we're taxed. But it's taxed, so they come up with a value of their flight, and then I pay an income tax on that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it, it sounds kind of cold and monetary, but why should my family have to pay more to have health insurance? And again, we could probably separate it out so David and the girls are on one plan and Eric and I am on another plan, but as a parent, as a family, it does not sit well with me that one of my children has a better health care plan than my other children. Right. It would be interesting to see how, how it comes out.
Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. We might get you down. You know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. 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 What do we do? We swim. Swim. Doreen, I'm singing. Ho, 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 ho. I love you. Swimming. Doreen. When you want to swim, you want to See, I'm gonna get stuck now with that song. Now it's in my head. Sorry. You're listening to part one of our family series. I'm very grateful to Bruce Carter and Dr. David Jenkins for sharing their story with us. They will be back again in part two of our series. I'd like to encourage you to check out the details of this and our other series on our life blog at matchboxmystery.wordpress.com. That's matchboxmystery is one word, matchboxmystery.wordpress.com. You will also want to read any of our books from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. How about Illicet, A Time to Begin Again? Illicet is spelled I-L-I-C-E-T. Illicet, A Time to Begin Again. Also, there is Flight of the Fused Monkeys by yours truly. And when you return, you will find out why Dr. Jenkins likes Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. See you next week.